Welcome to our podcast, Microbes in Us, brought to you by the Federation of European Microbiological Societies. I am Joseph. And I am Eleni. And, and we, we are, are the hosts of Microbes in Us. This podcast brings together the people that work tirelessly to uncover and understand the microbial world, its secrets, its complexity, and its vibrancy. And it will show us how microbes can shape, break, and make our human world. From prehistoric times, all the way to the modern world around us. We hope you enjoy and share this podcast. Welcome to everyone that tuned in today. I am your host, Eleni Corsari, and I'm joined by distinguished professor and FEMS Congress plenary speaker, Professor Rita Cowell from the University of Maryland in the USA. In this episode, we'll be discussing Professor Cowell's work and insights into the field of microbiology, as well as her perspectives on some of the most pressing issues facing scientists and the public today. So without further ado, let's get started. Rita Caldwell, University of Maryland at College Park in the USA, and also affiliated with Johns Hopkins University School of Public Health. I've been working in microbiology for close to 50 years. I've enjoyed an immensely successful career focused really on environmental microbiology and genomics. I'm very interested in the community composition of microorganisms, and I mean bacteria, viruses, fungus, and protists. I think it's really critical that we understand how communities operate in the environment, and especially how factors such as temperature, salinity, wind patterns, weather patterns, and distributions that can be monitored by satellite can be incorporated into opportunities to predict behavior of microorganisms, especially in terms of pandemics. Great, thank you for sharing that with me. I know you are doing a lot of work around addressing emerging infectious diseases and safe drinking water all around the world. So I was wondering if you could share a little bit of insight with us about it. It's been a really fascinating career focused on the safety of drinking water and its importance to human health. It's interesting particularly because now we find ourselves at the time of climate change really focused heavily and quite pointedly on the availability of safe water in special events that are associated with climate change, including very severe weather events, flooding, sea level rise, etc. The importance of drinking water, I think, is manifested very, very poignantly and dramatically in the case of cholera, a disease that I've studied really all of my career. It's a disease that really is an environmental source, origin, if you will. The bacterium is distributed in the natural environment. It's part of the environment. It can never be eradicated because it plays a role in the cycling of carbon and nitrogen. I think the most dramatic example is the fact that the Vibrio cholerae and all of the related species carry a gene that breaks down chitin, which is the um, structure of shrimps and crabs and crustaceans in general. And so it's a recycling phenomenon. The bacterium is associated with those organisms. So it's been a fascinating career focused on safe drinking water. And we now know that really to eradicate cholera, the disease, it's necessary that all 
countries, humans, probably all of the populations of the earth have access to safe drinking water. It's the most important controlling element. And uh, throughout the years, we have seen that there are a lot of diseases and infectious diseases associated with water. The striking example for me is, uh, you know, typhoid Mary, and she was using water for cooking, and then she passed typhoid into all of the people that she was cooking. So this is also another example that we can see that it's really, really important to address this. I think, as I know, it's been so far a little bit more control in that manner. Indeed, indeed. There are at least 25 or 26 human pathogens, that is, microorganisms, bacteria, virus, fungus, protists, associated with human disease that are distributed by um, unsafe drinking water. So provision of safe drinking water is really the major public health concern. If we provide safe drinking water and sanitation, the majority of the well, certainly the waterborne diseases will be controlled. And other diseases, such as malaria, which um, isn't directly uh, associated with water, but indirectly in that mosquitoes uh, lay their eggs and uh, will proliferate in uh, open water systems, particularly in pails and buckets that are left uh, standing. So the link to human health through safe drinking water is very powerful. Um, now I want to switch a little bit the topic and uh, hear a little bit on your experience. So as a scientist, you had the opportunity to work on a variety of projects and initiatives throughout your career. What have been some of the most rewarding projects you've worked on and why? Well, I must say that uh, serving as director of the United States National Science Foundation was an extraordinary experience. I happen to love science and engineering. Mathematics intrigued me. So be, to be in charge of the major funding source for scientists in the U.S. was really terrifically rewarding because I had an opportunity to visit telescopes and radio telescopes around the world that uh, the U.S. and other scientists around the world are involved in, but also to visit CERN and the Collider, as well as uh, being able to be involved in some of the fundamental genomics and to be funding the research that I think provide the basis of the advances that we are finding happening now. I'm particularly proud of doubling the mathematics budget. It was totally unexpected, I think, by the mathematics community that a biologist would come in and be a very powerful proponent for mathematics. But to me, mathematics is the Esperanto. It's the, it's the fundamental underlying calculating capacity for all of science biology as well. So it, it was terrific uh, to be able to see the budget being doubled. And then some years after the budget had been developed for mathematics, to see a report showing that the number of young mathematicians had increased because the funding had been available. So I think everybody had won by that. It was a win-win situation. You touched a little bit there on the topic of education in young ages. So tying it back to microbiology and education, I was wondering whether you could share your views around our young, the young generation that we have now highly knowledgeable about microbiology or science. And what can we do to better grasp this young generation to be involved with science. There's a real irony here in that uh, young children 
from birth on are really explorers in science. They're constantly testing their environment. They're constantly asking questions as they grow older. And really, in the early years, up until grades eight or nine, I guess, they're fundamentally scientists. Somehow, the teaching of science, particularly in the elementary and middle school, is focused on rote learning, memorization. And that's really not science. Science is discovery. It's exploration. It's, it's figuring out how things work. Kids are good at that, girls and boys. And I think by presenting science as a very thick book of things that you have to memorize is totally the wrong way to educate. I'm not alone in this attitude. I think... Um, a number of people have expressed the necessity. Bruce Alberts, the former president of the American Academy of Science, has written books about this where exploration is really critical for training scientists. I also think that um, for girls it's particularly difficult because by grades eight or nine or whatever the equivalent is in Europe and in Asia, somehow, at least in the U.S., there's a notion that girls don't do science, which is absurd. Girls are extremely good scientists, and many women have won the Nobel Prize. More who should have but didn't because of the prejudice against women in the earlier years. Fortunately, that seems to be changing. I think a, a problem of education and a problem as well on the part of scientists, not only don't we teach it well, but we also don't convey or converse well with the lay public. That's beginning to change. It's understood that we have to be able to explain what it is we do in terms that are understood by the public. They, after all, are the taxpayers and providing the funding for the research. And we certainly should be able to explain to them the importance of science, which has changed all our lives. It's a bit ironic uh, for someone to use a cell phone to, um, to drive an electric vehicle, for example, today, to um, have the distribution of superb um, products of agriculture, food, and not understand that it's science, engineering, and mathematics, particularly technology, has brought all that to us. So understanding the value of science, not just pragmatically, but also the beauty of science in terms of some of the explorations that we've done, bringing humans to the moon, talking about going to Mars, it's part of the science fascination that we should really inculcate in the public. So now going to the Congress, you will be giving a plenary lecture there. So without sharing too much, is it possible for you to, to tell us what this will be about? I'm very excited about how microbiology continues and very importantly right now plays a major role in one of the biggest crises humanity faces and that is climate change. Understanding particularly the role of health, microorganisms playing a role in maintaining health of populations. I think it's useful for the work that I have been doing for the last 20 years to share it at the uh, FEMS Congress, namely how we can now harness satellite sensors that are monitoring the Earth, which began really with Landsat, a uh, satellite launched back in 1985, roughly, which measured chlorophyll sea uh, surface temperatures and uh, a variety of other environmental parameters. We can now use that information in predicting 
pandemics, particularly of waterborne diseases, especially in the case of cholera, because the bacterium is actually commensal. That means it's, it's associated with plankton, zooplankton. And so by monitoring using satellites, we can actually now predict using a very sophisticated computational model, the risk of cholera epidemics. So I'll be discussing this as a prime example of how we can now use these magnificent tools, satellite sensors, as a public health tool. Similarly, with the COVID pandemic, incidentally, we've been in a cholera pandemic since the 60s, so we've been undergoing two pandemics uh, simultaneously with COVID. With COVID, we've been able to take what we have learned with cholera and provide similar predictive risk maps. And now we're moving into other diseases. So we can take the temperature of the earth, if you will, that is measuring the various parameters and predict human health. I think that's very exciting. And it brings microbiology to the forefront in this crisis that we're facing with climate change. Indeed, I think microbiology can provide a lot of solutions to a lot of the challenges that we have in the modern day. So I'm really, really excited to hear your talk in the Congress. And with that, I would like to close this episode. Thank you very much, Professor Cowell, for sharing all these stories with me today. Thank you very much. It's been an honor and a pleasure, and I, I look forward to meeting you in person. If you enjoyed listening, make sure to follow our podcast so you don't miss our future episodes. And also register for our Congress this July, where Professor Covell will be giving a plenary lecture. As always, you can find us on social media, on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at FemsMicro and subscribe to our YouTube channel, FemsMicrobiology. See you next time.